Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. Let's talk about Durko and uh, Minister Naledi Pandor. Uh, she's, of course, made comments to the United uh, uh, United Nations Security Council uh, over the ICJ rulings, which somehow she has taken to mean they've demanded a ceasefire. Now, they did have that option, and they didn't go do it. But according to Durko, effectively they've uh, done it, which is... Yeah, which is ANC speak for Firepool, I think. I think that's, that's what that is. But we wanted to try and get another perspective. Paul Leslie, founder and CEO of, News, of uh, NewsHound Media International. We haven't spoken for some time. How are you? Hi, Howard. I'm all good, thanks. And yourself? I am well, thank you. So this, uh, the, 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 it's, it's just very confusing what is going on because um, Naledi Pando asking the ICJ, uh, not that they issue arrest warrants, but asking why an arrest warrant was issued for Putin and not for Netanyahu, now going to Security Council, not necessarily reading or, or following the result of the Court of Justice, but somehow pursuing it as though it demanded a ceasefire. Look, I don't really think anything we're hearing from Pandora at the moment is is new. I think it probably has been said by almost everybody I imagine you've interviewed over this is that for the politicians and particularly those that are outside of, of Israel, it has become a political game of words. So I think what you have here is uh, Pando on behalf of South Africa really just trying to present South Africa as a powerhouse internationally from a political point of view. Um, I know many people believe that she's trying to distract attention from real problems that South Africa faces. And to be fair, the comments that you make without following it up with any real action on the ground doesn't put you in a, in a hell of a risky position. Um, I do think that South Africa is putting strains on its relationship with the United States. I do think that that lends itself towards SA European relations becoming a little bit more risky. But I think in terms of the political clout she gets by saying things that South Africa insists on a ceasefire and for Israel to be prosecuted for genocide and war crimes is welcomed by countries and and those who support the Palestinians and the Palestinian cause. And I think no one should be surprised by it. I mean, South Africa, particularly the ANC, has had a long-standing relationship with Palestine. You have the legacy of the ANC to support Palestine. Mm, mm. Um, and I I think the only new thing really in the mix is I think Pandora is also talking towards to, to a new audience, which is BRICS and the Global South. And you have this kind of realigning on the international stage where countries' alliances are being tested. Yeah, all right. That whole Global South thing confuses me considering China, Russia and Iran are nowhere near the South. But OK, that's that's uh, that's just we've we've never found the ANC lets truth stand in the good uh, the, uh, the way of a narrative. But yes, of course, there's no doubt that. And, and in fact, I don't believe that this is purely about a distraction. I think the distraction is and the way that South African media has lapped it up, I believe, is just a bonus for them. I do think that this aligns with ideology and we've seen that we certainly saw that from the time that days after this massacre 
uh, maybe even two days or three days, maybe uh, within a few days before Israel even went into Gaza and retaliated, the ANC was standing behind Hamas, had called Hamas. We don't know the nature of that phone call. We only know what Naledi Pandor told us, which said she phoned to offer humanitarian support. What does that mean? Why wouldn't she have phoned Israel? She didn't contact Mm -hmm. the ambassador. She didn't reach out in any way to Israel. So, and that was before Israel retaliated. So this started way before. Uh, if I was suspicious on a conspiracy theorist, I could even say that how, how did they mobilize so quickly? Because South Africa were ready to act, or, or they did act, certainly, uh, the minute this happened before Israel retaliated. So this narrative even started before. It was always going to be about genocide, even though the genocide, the genocidal intent certainly happens on Hamas's side. So there's, there's no doubt, and I do think that they have established a sense of morality. And they even the fact that they didn't arrest Omar al-Bashir, that they were very have been very careful in how they have dealt with Russia and Ukraine. There's no doubt that just by completely ignoring those accusations, they've effectively silenced them. And I must add, I think they've silenced them with the aid of our press here, who has turned, has treated them as though the Durkos, that they've run, won the Rugby World Cup and not that this is a serious court case. So it all comes t- together um, to create mm. a very, very uh, concerning picture. What do you see from the, what's your perspective of this? If I can just make a few comments on, on what you've been you've been talking about. The first thing is, I think, by and large, a lot of Israelis have been quite surprised um, that South Africa has taken such a, in inverted commas, leading role in terms mm. of political statements out there, as you said, trying to present a kind of moral high ground. And um, there's a lot of anger amongst the Israeli population. Like, I, I mean, people, South Africa is not a big player or any kind of player, certainly not from the Israeli point of view, on the international stage. And then suddenly you have all this media attention being focused on South Africa. Um, for me, what's what's interesting and has always been alarming is the media war and you just look at how this media war becomes more sophisticated and more complicated as we have each and every conflict um i this is just my opinion Mm. i I think that um i i wonder if you get the same sense i mean you you're much more based in south africa but from an international standpoint i i very often get the impression that israel could do better in the media war and it's such an easy statement to say i know it is mm. um and i know it is because it's the question i always get asked when i speak to israeli audiences is why isn't israel or why does why are we not able to share our story better or our opinion better in the international media and you're offering a viewpoint which is in south africa you're saying the media here is already sympathetic um to the other side so they're filtering through the kind of stories that they're receiving to begin with and i think added to that um i think that um there, there's a kind of arrogance and i know some of the listeners won't agree with me but i know there's a lot of people who feel that israelis very often present themselves with a kind of arrogance and self-righteousness when it comes to defending their case and whether people agree with that or not it is a criticism that is often leveled at Israeli spokespeople in the way that Israel presents its case what I've noticed is that the media war has become so incredibly sophisticated I mean I remember covering my first war from Israel um, 
maybe 15 years ago and Hamas had just started a Twitter page. It, 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 might, it might be 10 years ago. And I remember being alarmed at how can an organization that, that many mm. governments in the world recognize as a terrorist organization have a Twitter page. It's like, it didn't make sense. And now no one even asks those questions. We're not even asking those questions. There's so much media information and overload that's being leveled out there it's really hard to sift through what's real and not real and it becomes as you said a question of morality a question of um and 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 and, you know having worked in media my whole life once you have a viewpoint it doesn't take a lot to convince people of that viewpoint you just choose which more which which journalism and which stories you choose to reflect Um, and 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 i and i think our audiences are so polarized to begin with and people choose the media they want to hear and i and i i very often think that the media doesn't add any value to what's going on the ground it's just people looking for media that supports what they believe to begin with and once they find that media they just feel justified in what they're believing and it reinforces that I think the word you used filtering is so important because I've been going on and on about this uh, for the last uh, well forever but I've I've noticed it particularly on a couple of our uh, local media and and well-respected ones over the last two weeks or so where certain stories are not making it where where we have a situation that's uh, President Ramaphosa effectively accuses Israel of in advance of interfering with the elections and the most of our media doesn't even cover it. It's it's probably mm. one of the most significant South African stories because is he laying the ground to contest an election if he loses? Um, on what basis is he accusing an, a sovereign state in advance uh, where they can't defend mm-hmm. themselves because they haven't done it yet? And he's not saying they've done it yet, but is he saying they're, they're going to do and this is And this story's been ignored, largely. Yeah. I, I find it I, I mean, crazy. I, and, and Howard, if I can just add on to something you mentioned earlier, where you were saying that whole question of the global south and, you know, how do um, countries mm-hmm. even qualify? Mm-hmm. I, I, I have for many years worked... Um, reporting the the Russian perspective on international news. And I can just tell you, for example, what is Russia's perspective on what's happening. Russia has, has kind of accepted the fact that because of what's happening with Ukraine, they're not going to be accepted in, in international circles in the way that they were hoping. So the Global South and the whole BRICS component or mm body becomes really important to countries like Russia, which this year is heading up the um, the, the BRICS summit. And, and why it's becoming important is because it's almost becoming these echo chambers where the countries that are part of BRICS and the countries that are part of Global South share the same worldview. And and so Russia finds an audience within the countries that it, it shares its BRICS membership with who accept what it has to say and, and reinforce it. And it's kind of just said, well, we're never really going to be part and partners with America with Europe, so let's not even focus on that part of the world. And I think he's witnessed some of that happening with South Africa as well. And that's why when I mentioned earlier, who is uh, Minister Pandor talking to? She is talking to those BRICS countries who are receptive to um, to what South Africa has to say vis-a-vis Israel and the whole Palestinian issue, which also brings in an interesting question about Saudi Arabia, because you know now it's become quite clear that Saudi Arabia was nearing um, being able to sign some kind of peace deal or, or, or facilitate some kind of peace agreement between Israel and the Palestinians, which of course lends itself to all the theories that that's why, or one of the reasons why this happened, to put that all off track. But if you look like a country like Saudi Arabia, 
earlier, they are formally part of BRICS, um, but they're also in a very difficult position because they don't want to outrightly speak against Israel or the Palestinians. And it's that kind of neutrality that, unfortunately, the media war we have today, the 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 the, the world in which we are forcing people to take a position on either side. Um, makes our understanding of conflicts what's happening on the ground less black and white and and i can tell you because i've covered conflicts my whole life it's not so easy to say that the one partner is 100% in the right and the other one's 100% in the wrong. You're always going to get tragedy on both sides. Of You're course. always going to get heartache on both sides. And, and and I sometimes think as journalists, we do a disservice because we take a really, really complicated issue and any conflict is complicated a million times more so when it's Israeli-Palestinian because of the history, mm, the context, mm, the mm. background, everything. And we do a disservice I sometimes think to what's happening on the ground when we come out with these sweeping political statements, when we we try and act as though there's a simple truth and a simple non-truth. Do you understand what I'm, I'm getting at? Here? Absolutely right. I think I think that's that's 100%. Because then what happens is you end up presenting your truth, which means you ignore stories that actually don't align with that, because it then might, it might even confuse you. Hundred percent, and 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 again, I'm not, you know. Uh, 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 please God, you know, I don't take sides as a journalist because I, I do think that 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 should still be one of the kind of you know attributes we should have is to try and tell the reality on the ground. But I do acknowledge that there are different realities happening on the ground, and which reality you choose to focus on affects how you tell the story, and it's 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 much more complicated. But this is where I think. Um, let's go back to the whole Pandor story. Mm. I, I do think she does South Africa a disservice here because I do think that she. Um, you, you, she, she, exactly like you said earlier, she completely ignores what's happening on the Israeli side, and um, there's heart, just as much heartache on the Israeli side. There's just as much, you know, um, feeling of crisis and war and, and and whatever happening on the Israeli side as the Palestinian. The idea is not to compare them. The idea is just to understand that both sides have legitimacy and both sides are going through an unbelievably horrendous situation. The fact that she can't acknowledge that. Uh, it really does say it all. The fact that she is particularly cold to death of Jews, that's just the reality. Uh, it's, it comes across as word service when she says, and we call on Hamas to release the hostages, but now is going to the ICJ and saying, well, Israel hasn't listened to you. Well, has Hamas? Uh, you know, there's no, there's no measure of balance. What I don't understand is where's media with that? Why aren't, and of course you can't answer for South African media, but I'm just, as, a, as somebody who's been involved in this for so long, why, what, would, what would be the reason that we're not asking her those questions and saying, well, hold on, has Hamas done that? And, you know, Minister, what about, what about that? No one's asking the question. I find it strange that media has almost become their press office. It's a, a spokesperson, which I find very, very disturbing. I mean, that, I, I don't follow the South African media to the extent that you do. So, sure. so if what you're saying is accurate, then that's exactly where the criticism should be leveled. Before people even level the criticism at Pandora, the criticism should be leveled at why is she not being asked difficult questions to get away with it. I can tell you, for example, in the Israeli context, where I'm much more familiar over the last 20 mm, years, mm. Um, there, there's very often thinking that a lot of the anti-Israel stories that are out there in the media originate in the Israeli media. 
because the Israeli media has such a, yes. a track yes. record of asking the difficult questions. So, you know, I was always in the foreign journalist corps in, in Israel, and um, a lot of the foreign journalists don't speak Hebrew. So where do they even get an idea of, of, of the nuances of what's going on in Israel is a lot of them will read left-wing Israeli publications that criticize a lot of Israeli policies, and from there they almost get their story ideas. But, but to be fair, um, on a global scale, I think there was a crisis of journalism. And, and you know, I, I can't just pretend that, again, I'm not, I'm not familiar with the South African situation, but I can't pretend that on the global situation, we are all um, completely clean of the accusations that you're leveling either. I think today you live in a world where just by the notion of which media house you belong to, um, there's already an understanding in terms of, you mentioned earlier the word filter, of how we filter our stories, how we see our stories, how we, and, and I actually am beginning, because this is an ongoing process that I struggle with, I'm beginning to reach a conclusion and that maybe the training should not be so much for journalists, but equally as much, if not more so, for consumers of news, which means for people watching TV. If we had things like media and diplomacy, not, not media diplomacy, but I, I'm not quite sure what you would call it, but media mm. literacy classes, yes, where in yes. schools and things, they taught to understand and read media with a critical eye because somebody owns a news station, whether it's your sponsorship or your government, they have a particular angle to push. Um, and they're not going to change that. So maybe the focus needs to be on us as consumers learning to, to ask the difficult questions, to read between the lines, and to hold journalists to responsibility. And then to go back to your South African scenario, it should be the South Africans who are calling on their journalists to hold their politicians to book. But to some extent, as, as we've just said, we're the problem, because if a publication writes a pro-Israel story, they're going to be inundated with, um, with comments from anti-Israel, and, and, and the same as the other way around. I don't think that the Israel supporters are any better in that regard. Mm. So ultimately what it does is whoever's the strongest voice just becomes the, the uh, style of that particular publication. Uh, but Howard, I've seen it happen repeatedly. I mean, you're witnessing it right now, and we're talking about it in terms of um, Israel, Palestinian, Gaza, Hamas. But every single conflict I have uh, I have reported on has exactly the same thing. Um, there is always going to be people who who will contact me and say, "I completely support the way you cover this this war." But in the days that I was working for RT, we were covering the war from a Russian perspective. I sure. never pretended that it was mm, an objective, mm. neutral perspective. It was a Russian perspective. Yes. And the danger is, and, and I think the term is eco echo chambers, mm. is as the world gets more sophisticated with media, I could be sitting right next to you physically, at, next to you in the same office, at the same desk, and you and I could be living in completely different worlds because of the media we access. And you could have decided at some point that, um, that Israel's right and the Palestinians are wrong or right vice versa and the media whether you consciously even choose that media or the technology is sending you the stories you want you will just receive media that reinforces what you believe and it's so and, and then and then you're in this kind of echo chamber which is kind of real but also not real where, where everybody's saying the same thing as you so you get more bolstered more confident more bold in being able to express those opinions but i could be sitting next to you in a completely different echo chamber reading completely different media and and it would be hard to believe that you and i are experiencing the same in inverted commas war because we're um 
we, we're receiving such different information. Amazing, so so then it leads me to the thing, it leads me to think maybe media is not even the answer. Like, like, like I really am at a point in my career where I'm feeling despondent about what we as journalists do when it comes to covering conflict. I think we very often make the conflict worse. I don't think we bring understanding. I don't think we bring context. Um, and I think we're very often used as pawns by whoever needs to use us to reinforce what they believed anyway. I absolutely love that. What a fantastic discussion. Paula Slayer, thank you. Getting so many messages, people really appreciating it and uh, enjoying the, re- the the nuance of the conversation. Paula Slayer is a founder and CEO of NewsHound Media International. Thank you for that.